I'd like to welcome everyone. My name is Chris. I am one of the pastors here at the Bridge Church. I'm so glad to see so many of you here with us this morning. Uh, in fact, um, can we give a round of applause to all of our college students that are back with us? Yeah. And, um, and as y'all know, it was definitely um, no shortage of rain yesterday. So some of you college students, you probably moved in in the rain and praise God for you suffering uh, in the gospel that way by moving in in the rain. And for that reason, we will have some coffee and donuts for you um, after service today. So make sure that you find your way outside in the lobby or outside for coffee and donuts for our college students. Next week. Oh, I'm sorry. Not this week. I promise you it's going to be all right. All right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. So I want to encourage you in that way. And as you heard um, my sister Hillary say earlier, she was talking about our new series that is coming up in the book of Esther. We are so excited about that. We've been praying about where God will lead our church and, and how he wants to teach his word um, from the Old Testament where Christ is very, very present. And what's interesting about the book of Esther is that God's name, you can read it as many times as you want, and we encourage you to read it. God's name is not mentioned one time um, in that book, but his hand, his hand is evident. So, listen, we're, we're looking forward to, to, that, to, that, to that book, God's perfect plan through imperfect people. So, we're excited about that. But we're going to end our series today, Life in Order, uh, and we're really excited about that as well because I feel like the way this book ends, um, the way this series ends, really speaks to where we want to be as a church in this season right now. So, um, I feel like the last time I was up preaching, I was talking about food. And we're going to keep that tradition going, all right? So, I, I have to start off with, with, a, with a story. Um, it, it said Chick-fil-A again. I don't know why. It, just, it keeps coming up. Um, Y'all going to have to pray for me, um, Chick-fil-A. But I got a big family. It's six of us. So, a lot of times when I go get fast food, it's not cheap. Um, you can imagine. Um, and everybody always wants some type of milkshake or a chocolate chunk cookie or something on top of that. I'm like, you can get water. You can be all right. Y'all you know, know I'm old school. But anyway, I, um, I, order, I order the food, and, um, and we're going through the drive-thru. And, um, and I get up to, you know, I pull up to, to, to the little counter. And, the, and the, the Chick-fil-A worker, a young girl, she looked at me, and she was, like, so excited. And I was just like, what's, what's going on? And she was like, you won't believe this, but the person in front of you Pay for your meal. Oh, and me and my kids were like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, whoo. You know, and, I, and, I, and you know, we were really excited. Um, and then, then I had a moment, and I thought, I was like, you know, it's, it's a blessing that someone would pay for me that doesn't even know me at all. So let me make sure that I do the same thing. So I paid for the person that was behind me. All right? And, you know, who knows? I know sometimes that, that kind of continues to go and go on and go on. But the, but the point is this. You know, how much more if a stranger that does not even know me will pay for my meal and contribute to me, how much more should we as the family of God be willing to contribute to one another? How much more should we be willing to do that? And that's kind of what we're getting at today. That, that's the question that we've been, been asking in this series all along. Are, are we becoming more like Christ or are we becoming more like our, our culture? We are definitely consumed with individualism in our society. We're consumed with materialism in our society. Pastor Ethan last week 
talked about our purpose over possessions. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I highly encourage you to listen to that message. But we're wrestling with these things when we should be out serving one another. We should be out doing one another. We should be, we, we should be honoring one another in a way that the world should look at us and say, wow, I would love to be a part of that kind of family. So as we think through this and we look at, uh, you know, even when we look at America right now, when we look at just in our neighborhoods, some, some, I, I heard one author say we shouldn't even call out where we stay neighborhoods. We should call them shelter hoods because we, we, we function as a, a collection of unconnected people. We're consumed with privacy. That's why what we want to talk about today is, is getting this thing in order, getting our life in order, understanding that, that we're, we're contributors and not just consumers, contributing over consuming. Now, it's interesting that the U.S. is one of the wealthiest nations in the world, but are you surprised that we're also one of the most medicated nations in the world? That lets us know that something is grossly out of order. We're consumed with ourselves, and we need to understand that this consumerism is actually failing us. It's failing us. But Jesus provides us a way out. So th this passage today comes out of Romans. And, you know, Romans is a very theologically robust book, but, um, but it's very simple to understand. And, and I, I want you to see from just a thousand feet up, I want to come down to just to bring you the context to kind of show you why we chose this passage. Because I think there's a, there's one, there, there are a lot of themes in Romans, but there's one beautiful theme about family that I want you to see. See, in Romans 1 through 4, we learn that, that we all are sinners, that no one is righteous except God. The Jewish people who were supposedly supposed to be close to God found out that they were sinners. The Gentiles who were supposedly supposed to be far away from God are sinners. But through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, the Gentiles and the Jews have become one family in God. Then you get the, the, the verses, um, I mean chapters um, 5 through 8. And then we see the Holy Spirit's role in creating this family of God, this role that he plays in, in making us more like Jesus in chapters 5 through 8. Then you get to the chapters 9 through 11, and then Paul points us back to the Old Testament. Excuse me. And in the Old Testament, we, we learn that this is an old plan. This has always been God's intention to fulfill the law, to fulfill all these things through Jesus to make us this family of God. And then you get to this last chunk, the fourth chunk, chapters 12 through 16. And we're going to be in chapter 12. You just heard the scripture reading. But at the beginning of chapter 12, we learn what is it going to take for this, this family that has traditionally not been together, that this multilingual, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational family of God, how are they going to be united? We're going to be united through our obedience. This is the reasonable response to this grace. So we see right here what kind of kingdom family is God trying to build? What kind of kingdom family is God trying to build? Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, let's, let's listen to that one more time. Let's listen to God's word with that in mind. In Romans 12, verse 3 says, for by the grace Grace is something that you don't deserve. It's something that you didn't earn. It's something 
that God decided to give you. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to faith. If service, in serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Then he starts preaching right here. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. Amen. Amen. So what we want to do today, I want to look at three observations that, that we kind of see right here about family, if you will, in this text. Here, here they are. Here are the three. One, family is grounded in humility. It's grounded in humility. Secondly, family honors family. And thirdly, family outserves family. So let's jump into the first one. Family is grounded in humility. Now, when you think of your family, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Is it humility? Some of y'all are like, no, it's crazy, all right? Because y'all know if you like me, you got a crazy family, all right? Some of y'all are that crazy person. Um, I know I'm that crazy person. But we have crazy family. But here at the bridge... If, you're, uh, uh, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, I need you to understand that, that we're family. The people that you're sitting around, the people that you look around, if they love Jesus, if they serve Jesus, then that is your brother and your sister. In fact, Jesus, one time, his biological family, because Jesus did have brothers and sisters, you know, he was the firstborn child, but he had a lot of other siblings. And we see one instance where Jesus is teaching and then his family shows up, his mother, his brother, and his sisters, they show up. And they say, Jesus, Jesus, they were trying to get his attention. Your family is here. What does Jesus do? He stops and he points to the people that he's sitting around. And he says, anyone who does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. That's who the family of God is. So how do you treat your family? How do you treat your family? It's with that type of humility, being grounded in the fact that I, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, where you've been. If you place your trust in Jesus, then I, I, I'm actually obligated to call you my brother and my sister. See, this is where the humility comes from. I, I, I hope that people in this city, in the, in the city of Wilmington, in all its surrounding areas, when they meet somebody from the Bridge Church, one of the things they can say, those are some humble people. Those are some humble people. That's why in verse 3 it says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has designed. If you're going to be honest, because you were not born a Christian, you were born a sinner, there's some things down in our nature. We're naughty by nature. All right, so that Christian 
I mean, that, that, that rap group from 1993, they had that right in their name. Naughty by nature. We're naughty by nature, so we naturally think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. This is not suggesting, though, when, when we talk about not thinking too highly, it's not suggesting that the answer to this is to think lowly of yourself. That, that's not what it's saying. It just means that you need to have an accurate view of yourself through Jesus, through the lens of God. See, humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. It's thinking accurately about yourself in relationship to God. It's not you thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And since we're all sinners saved by grace, that is given to us, we need to say, how has the grace that's impacted me, how am I now graciously letting that kind of grace impact the people around me? So in, in other words, if you really understand grace, something that you don't deserve, that means the way you treat people should be the same way. Because here's the problem. Right? You know, when we talk about somebody that's prideful or someone that's arrogant, um, most of the time it's because they, they think that the, that the buck stops with them. They, 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 they don't mind being dominant in conversations. They don't mind because, because they, don't, they, they, they act like it's not about grace. It's not about something I don't deserve. It's all about me. That's why Paul uses the word sober. He's using the word sober to speak counterintuitively about the self-absorbed thinking that we have. We're naturally self-centered and entitled. We're, we're, and that's the, that's the opposite of sobriety. See, when you're sober, that means you have self-control. It means you're level-headed. But instead, a lot of us, we're drunk with ourselves. We're drunk with our opinions instead of the Scripture. We're drunk in our emotions instead of the Spirit of God. We're drunk in our fears instead of our faith. And specifically in this passage, you can be drunk with division in your heart instead of unity. Have you ever asked a drunk person for directions? You ever got lost somewhere in town and you meet somebody? Hey, man, can you tell me how to get somewhere? And they're drunk. You don't want to ask that drunk person for directions. You're not going to ask a drunk person to be your physician. To all the brothers in the building, you're not going to get a drunk brother, person to cut your hair. No. I need you to be sober because this line needs to be straight. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't want a drunk person to pray for me. And see, here's the thing. You know, some of, us, some of you may have never been drunk with alcohol or wine in your life, but it doesn't mean that you aren't drunk in other areas of your life. And our spiritual drunkenness, it prevents you from being a really good family member. So write this down. You either blinded by ownership, which is consuming, consuming, consuming is all about me, or humbled by stewardship, which is where you get contributing from. The reason why I can contribute is because I know it's not mine. See, ownership, ownership says this. I don't belong to God. Nothing I have belongs to God. In fact, I deserve all that I have because I work hard for it and I answer only to myself. Ownership convinces you that you always have the final say, that you are the voice of reason, that you are self-made, that you made the boots and you pull yourself up with your own bootstraps that you woke yourself up this morning, that you're in control, because ultimately you believe that you, you are God. But humility produces an attitude of stewardship. And it screams to people that there's somebody in this picture that's beyond me. 
It says I belong to God. In fact, everything I have, all my material possessions and all this actually belongs to God. And not only God, but to God and his family. In fact, I don't deserve any of these things that I have. It's all a gift from God because I am the Lord's steward. So are we thinking too highly of ourselves? Are we using sober judgment or are we drunk with distractions? If you want one of the ways to analyze this, look at the way, how do you treat your family? How do you treat your neighbors? How do you treat your coworkers? How do you treat people that are right here at the bridge? Remember, God has divinely qualified you for this ministry that he's given you. He's given each a measure of faith, which means that your faith should speak to your dependency on God as well as your interdependence on other believers. Appreciate this gift of grace that God has measured to you, that you're a part of a community, a family that Jesus died for. This is church. More specifically, the local church. Now, I'm going to tell y'all, when, when people start talking about, talking trash about the local church, I get a little upset because I'm like, you need to understand that the local church is very important. Because I, I meet some people sometimes and they say, listen, I, I'm a Christian and I love God, um, but I just, I'm not really involved or part of the church, you know, because I, you know, because I'm part of the, the universal church, the big church. This, this is me, me and God, we got this relationship, but I'm not connected to the church. And I'm like, I don't know if that's possible. Like, anyway, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if a dude walked in here, um, that's a little bit taller than the tallest guy in here, Zach Reeve, he's real tall. Zach, but if a guy walked in here, he's like 6'10", the first thing we're going to assume is that you probably played basketball. But if, if we asked him, we say, hey, man, you're you are, you in the NBA? He's like, yeah, I'm in the NBA. And we say, okay, what's the next natural question? What team do you play for? And he says, um, I, I actually don't play for a team in the NBA, but I'm, I'm in the NBA. Well, okay. You're a free agent. Yeah, yeah, I'm a free agent right now. All right. Listen, we got a lot of people that are like free agent Christians. And they're going around, and they say they're in the NBA, but you can't have an NBA. NBA does not exist if it isn't for the local teams. You need to be on the Hornets. You need to be on the Bulls. You got to be on a team. That's how we know that you're in the NBA. You can be a free agent for a little while, and this is your first time coming. You know, I, I encourage you to go, go come several times, come to church over and over. You need to find a good, healthy home to be in as a church. But you do need to understand that the local church is what makes the universal church. In fact, the word universal, the, the church spoken of universally is only used about three times in the scripture. The rest of the time is local. But it, it, listen, you just look at, look at the title of the books. It's in Ephesians. Why? Because it was the church that was in Ephesus. It's Corinthians because it was the church that was in Corinth. It wasn't just called, the name of the book wasn't just called church or Christian. It had specific names. What I'm trying to tell you is this, that you, you should be a part of a family. And we should function together. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So though many are one body in Christ and in, individually, members of one another. Then when you skip back down to verse 9, it lets us know how we should function. Let love be genuine. This is the, these are the things you should be feeling in your family and the things you should be doing. Abhor what is evil. We have to abhor what is evil. 
and to hold fast to what is good. We should love one another with brotherly affection. We should outdo. Outdo means when I see somebody doing, I'm going, I'm going to do even better than that. I'm going to outdo one another in showing honor. I'm not going to be slothful about being zealous. I'm going to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I'm going to rejoice. I was talking to one of, one of our Pastor Tim um, yesterday about this. All right, listen, we go through some crazy things. There are things that we go through as Christians, and I love that it, says, it tells us to rejoice. See, joy and happiness are two different things, really quickly. See, happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy is not based on your circumstances. I'm not saying to deny those things that are happening. Sickness, divorce, disease. There's so many different things that happen. Job loss. All these. I'm not asking you to, to, to jump up and clap and be all excited about those things. But you do need to understand that you have joy. And joy is not based on your circumstances because you know that in Jesus, one day there won't be any sickness. One day there won't be any divorce. There won't be any job loss. So it get, he gives you through his spirit the power to rejoice. And I have to remind myself because sometimes when all those things come into my, my heart and my mind, I will get lost and I need brothers around me. I need the family of God to come around me to remind me, Chris, I know this is hard, but I need you to rejoice. I'm not asking you to clap and, and, and get all excited. I'm asking you to remember what it means that you have joy. Rejoice. Rejoice. Contribute. is what we're getting at to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. That leads to our second observation, which is this. Family honors family. Now, most of us don't come from a culture of honor. At best, some of you heard congratulations or good job on, on this thing. But what I'm talking about is something totally different. What I'm talking about here and what this passage is getting at, and you can tell by these words that it's using, it's talking about recognizing, acknowledging, and viewing someone, watch this, that's different than you, somebody that's different ethnically than you, someone that's different culturally than you, someone that's different generationally than you, you view them as an asset to your family. The first time I served, I'm a, and, I, and I've, I've been in ministry over 20 years, and um, I served primarily in, um, early on in, in, in uh, African-American, predominantly African-American churches. Um, and probably like the last 10 or 12 years, I've served in a church where uh, it's been predominantly white. And I remember the first time one of the, one of the pastors uh, when, he, when he spoke of me being present and me being on the team, he spoke of me as, you know, you're not here because you're a token. You're not here because, you know, we just need some black people on staff. We view you as an asset. There's some things because you are a black man, because you are a black father, because th there's some things that you're going to bring to the table that we traditionally have not been able to have. It's when I look at my brothers that way, when I see your gray hair and I say, listen, there's some things that you know that I don't know. And I value you as an, I, I honor that in my life. You're, you're young and, you, and, you're, and you're single and, I, and, and there's some things that you've experienced and some things you're going through and some things that are happening right there at your job that I value and it's an asset to you being in this group. That's why we don't have affinity groups. 
here at our church because we value the diversity that comes about when we come together as a family of God in that way. So what should we be doing? Now, listen, this is what's interesting about this passage. See, when, when one part of the body isn't cooperative or when one part is not shown honor, or, or it, here, here's something else that we do sometimes. When we try to make all the parts uniform instead of united, because there's a difference between uniformity and unity. Because remember, we're different, but we're one. We're not all trying to be the same. It gets weird. Like, what, what if we, all the parts of the body, we try to make all the parts of the body a hand? That would look weird. What, I mean, what, think about if your body just decided to do that. Hey, I'm just, you know what? I'm not going to be a head, feet. I'm not going to be any I'm just going to be one hand, one big old hand. And we got hands walking around. All right? And y'all think that's crazy, but there was a show where this happened. It went like this. Dun-dun-dun-dun. 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 There. All right, I ain't going to do the rest of the song. Some of y'all are like, what are they doing? Why are they snapping? And some of y'all know it was a show called The Addams Family that came out. And they were creepy, and they were weird, and they had all these, these, they were like monsters. They were like all this creepy family. But one of the characters on the, on the, on the, um, in the show, his name was Thing, all right? Thing T. Thing. And all he was, listen to this, was a dismembered hand. And he was doing all kinds of stuff. He arm wrestling people and driving cars. I'm like, how did he do that? You know, but it's just a hand, and it's weird. And you see this hand is walking around, and his hand is doing all these things. But it's weird because you, we, and we laughed at it because we know there's no, that you can't function without the rest of your body. You can't function that way. See, and listen, let me tell you something. Your hand is only good when it's connected to your arm. And your arm is connected to your shoulder and your back. Your gifting becomes clear. Your gifting. The hand even starts to learn, oh, I can do some things. Wow, look at what I can do with the, when I'm connected. When you, listen, this is what happens when you connect to the body. We got feet out here. We got backs and shoulders and all kind of, all different parts of the body that are present right here. And some of y'all have a difficult time discovering God's will in your life because you're not connected to the body. We got a lot of things moving around. And the thing needs a foot and another hand and a shoulder and some knees. And listen, what, see, thing, when thing is connected, thing can get encouraged. That hand can say, look, I love the way that you clap. I have to rebuke you when you try to use your middle finger on your hand. I, I like it when you, when you get your hands dirty for us. Then we're going to rejoice when you get those hands manicured. Even when you suffer and you have carpal tunnel or arthritis in your hand, we're, we're going to love you. And then sometimes when you're cold, we're going to find a glove to put on your hand. And then sometimes you just need one hand to cover the other hand. This is how you establish an honor culture in the body. It's time for us to shake this Lone Ranger mentality. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, so I don't even know why he was called a Lone Ranger. Amen. That don't even make sense. You didn't even think about that, did you? Hmm. This is what we need. It's only creepy when the thing is not connected to anything. All right? See what I did there? That's, the, that's bars. Bars. All right. Jesus died to create a body of believers that serve one another. He did not create just a bunch of hands. Sometimes when you look up here and you see preachers, you're like, 
you know, that, that's a hand, that's what they do. He didn't just create a bunch of preachers. He created a body of believers. And listen, here's the thing that's, here's the thing that's crazy. As a preacher, my, my, our primary role, um, Pastor Ethan and I, is to equip the body, to equip all these other parts to do the work of the ministry. That's my job. That's my job. And, and, and we have to understand the value in that. See, our beauty, our beauty comes from our unity, not from us individually. We're a family, not a collection of individuals. And God designed you that way. I love how Rick Warren, author of Purpose Driven Life, breaks this down. He says it like this. He says, we become members by committing our lives to Christ. Yes. But we become the body when we connect to one another. You become a member when you say, Jesus, I trust you. Um, I want you to be Lord of my life. But you start becoming the part of the body when you start connecting with others. So write this down. Your contribution requires connection. You have to be connected in order to contribute. So now that we realize how important it is to function as a family, what does that look like in our day-to-day lives? One thing that we've established is that Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. Everybody is in the game. There are no bench warmers at all. Our entire family plays. So write down this final observation. It's the third thing. Family outserves family. Let's look at these gifts again that you see right here. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I love, let me paraphrase verse 6 for you again. Y'all all got different gifts, now use those bad boys. That's the Chris Green version. Use your gifts. Listen, I, I can't tell you, um, a lot of ministries are birthed out of churches because people walk up and they say, man, why ain't we, do, you know, we should be doing this in our church. We really should be doing this. And then, you know, in, in light of the scripture and in light of what Jesus is doing in people's heart, because I can't give you a gift. You've been measured that gift by God. Hey, since you're so passionate about it, why don't you, why don't you do that? People are like, what? There's a need there. Maybe, maybe that need is a window into God's heart and showing you where you, the area that you're gifted in. Just maybe. And when we look at these gifts, let's look at them really quickly. Because some of y'all are like, all right, I, Chris, I see these gifts that are listed there. Um, I can see myself in some of them and maybe not some of the others. Listen, this is actually, it's not as, a, as deep as you think it is. All right? So let's look at the first one, prophecy. You know, like, man, I don't know if I'm not a prophet. I can't predict the future and all that kind of That Prophecy is not just foretelling future events. All right? It's somebody that boldly proclaims the truth of God. Boldly proclaims the truth of God. Most of the prophets in the, in the Old Testament, a lot, a lot of them, they were running from people most of the time because most of the time they had to share some things that people did not want to hear. That was a gifting that you probably didn't want um, in the Old Testament. You were running, because it, it, while it might have seemed cool, most of the time the prophets had, had jobs that were pretty tough. But these are people that boldly proclaim scriptural truth. Then there's service. That's service. We have people here that serve as deacons. That means you just simply meet the material needs of the people here in our church. 
I love to hear how when someone is sick or when someone is going through and people decide to sign up for a meal train and they, and they, and they do it immediately and, they, and, they, and there's food waiting at the door at your house and you don't even have to worry as you're going through one of those crazy seasons. And there's teaching. And teaching is not just from the pulpit, but it's people that carefully divide the word of truth for Christian living. That's teaching. Exhorting. These of you, that's those of you that, that strongly encourage people. You help people to believe. You help people to believe something that's already in them. You help them to understand and believe their faith, and you encourage them to go forward in that way. Sometimes when you're around certain people, they just have a way of just reminding you of who you are in Christ. Then you have those that contribute. That means to be generous. This is something that, that, that we all are doing. And here, let me, and as, as I'm reading these, you need to understand that you can't, you don't have to be like, well, I, I do prophecy, so I don't do teaching, and I do teaching, so I don't do contributing. No, the Holy Spirit will lead you, and you might be doing all of these. You might at some point, at different points in your life. But you should be generous. I, I know people here that have given cars away, said, here, you, we don't need, we don't, we don't have to have this car right now. We're sacrificing. Here, here's the deed, here's the time. Take this car. I've seen people sacrifice and give money and give, give time to other people. They, 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 they realize that their, their time, talent, and treasure is not their own, but it's something that God has given them to steward to other people. Then there's leading gifts. There's leading gifts. This, these are people that stand on behalf of other people. They also can make systems better that can serve other people. Like, for example, even in the book of Acts, you remember that there was this dispute that was going on because there was a group of widows who weren't able, they weren't getting the same portion that another group of widows was getting. So they came in and they changed the system up that would serve the people better in the church. Then there's mercy gifts. Some of you have a heart for people that are marginalized, the sick and the needy, the immigrants, the widows, the homeless. You work in pregnancy, pregnancy support centers. These are acts of mercy that you, you pour out on people. Now, here's the thing. You can, you can take as many spiritual gift surveys as you want, and, I, and I've taken a lot of them myself, but a lot of you guys will not discover what that gift is until you actually start doing it. Use those bad boys. Use them. Use them. There are a lot of different ways to serve here. I know Pastor Ethan was telling us a story about how he walked out on the court, 5'8", thought he was going to be the center on the team. And he said, but when he got out there with all the other guys, and a lot of them were taller, he learned that way. Well, the way I need to be used is the point guard. I'm not going to be down in the paint going hard in the paint on those guys, but this is what I'm going to be doing right here. See, some of you, you just don't know until you just start serving. That's why you need to serve with our kids. If you're a man and you're here, you definitely need to serve with our kids. They need to see men of God that will teach them the scripture. You need to serve on our production team with our guest services, in our student ministry, on our college team, on our worship team, on our band. You could be a community group leader. You could be on our prayer team. You could be on with our deacons, our, our go team. You can serve the city. Or you can even serve our family that's abroad by going on a short-term trip. There's so many different ways, but you've got to get connected. You've got to get involved if you want to see how God can use you in your gifts. He's already qualified you. He's already given you a measure of faith. You were designed to be a contributor. You were designed to contribute. So you need to ask, what am I contributing here at the bridge? 
When was the last time you walked up to a ministry leader of any sort and just said, where do y'all have a need? Before I ever became a teaching pastor, let me tell you, I, I've, I've, done, I, I've done everything in the church. I've served in every capacity. You name it. Parking team, uh, guest services, you know, kids. You know, then I had to get out of there because I had, you know, uh, you know, my kids at home, and they're like, no, man, we, no, we, we do enough teaching at home. Let, let somebody else do it. Uh, but but, but you, you, that's how you learn your gifts because, listen, people will affirm it. People will say, man, did you know that you, you're an exhorter? You, you, you really encourage people. Man, you really have a heart in this way. And see, and we're, we're keeping our eyes peeled. Your leaders are keeping their eyes peeled because we want to continue to develop you in that way. Let me, let, me, let me end here. Let me end here. Listen, we, there's nothing wrong with consuming. We all have to consume. We all have to be able to receive some things and take some things in. But it's always problematic when that becomes your identity. If you're known as a consumer. In fact, James and John walked up to Jesus, and they were really excited about Jesus being the king and him coming back. They're watching all these miracles that he's doing. They can tell that he's a boss. And they say, Jesus, we got something to ask you. Can one of us sit at your right hand? Can one sit at, sit at, your, sit at your right right, and one at your left? And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking me right now. You don't even know what you're asking me. Because you because your mindset and your life is out of order. Then he gave them this kingdom building block. He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. That's the mindset of the king. That's the mindset of the kingdom that he's building. As I told y'all before, I have... Uh, I have four children. Um, two are grown now, and one is two are teenagers. But at one point, they all were babies. And as much of a joy as they were, and, and as much as we love them being in our home, babies are consumers. They cry when they're hungry. They cry when they poop. They cry when they tease. Sometimes they cry and we don't even know why they cry. But then sometimes they'll coo a little bit and they'll smile at us and we'll do it all over again. We'll lose sleep over them we're, because they're babies. And it makes sense that a baby is only a consumer. That makes sense. But you need to understand that being a baby, being an infant, is the shortest period in your life. Spiritually and physically, it is the shortest period in your life. When Paul speaks to the church about their infancy in Christ, he does not speak about it in a very endearing way. He says, I tried to feed y'all solid food, but I had to give you milk because you're in your flesh. Church, it's time for us to grow out of 
spiritual entity. And for us to be children of God, that always depend on God and not entities that always have to consume, consume, receive, receive, receive people that can contribute. That's our heart. That's our heart for you. Amen. Would you pray with me?